Well, welcome to Coffeehouse Questions. This is Ryan Pauly. One video I recently posted on YouTube was a video titled, you know, did God commit genocide in the Old Testament? And this is a huge issue uh, in the world of Christian apologetics and understanding the the nature and character of God uh, that we have to understand of why did these kind of crazy atrocities and, and maybe terrible things happen in the Old Testament. And this video, obviously on YouTube, was met with some comments, some objections, some criticism. And so today we are going to tackle some of those objections and look at this topic of was the killing of the Canaanites was it genocide? Was it judgment? How can we understand this issue? And joining me to discuss it is Dr. Clay Jones. He is an associate professor of Christian apologetics at Biola University at Talbot School of Theology. He also has written the book, Why Does God Allow Evil? I had him on a while back when that book first came out to discuss his work. And so he's going to join me to discuss this critical issue. So Dr. Jones, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Pleasure to be on, Ryan. I, I probably said this last time, but it, it was just so cool how I first learned about you while I was in the Dominican Republic. Some Jehovah's Witnesses came to my house. I Google searched, how do I talk to these people? Your article popped up. It was extremely valuable. And then I ended up, one of my first classes at Biola uh, was your class and so excited. Got to meet you and now consider you a mentor. And I just love that. So thank you for all that you've done. Well, I'm honored. I'm honored to be of service, Ryan. <laughs> So we kind of probably talked about this in your last episode, discussing why does God allow evil. Uh, but these probably aren't topics that someone kind of specializes in, of, of genocide and, and judgment and, and, and uh, the evil that, that is in the Old Testament and the evil that surrounds us, as well as even like the crusades and witch hunts and oppression of women and slavery. Uh, why, why is this a topic that really has interested you, or why did you even get into this? Well, boy, it's a it's a long story. I'll try to make it real fast. Uh, I, you know, grow. I became there's a point in becoming a Christian. This is about 1981 where I began to understand the glory that awaits us in heaven forever, and I write about this in my book. And then I began, after some years of studying heaven and eternity and what God's doing for us, I began to study the depths of human sinfulness. And when I began to realize that we're all Auschwitz enabled, as I put it. Uh, and that we're all going to go to heaven forever, honestly, the problem of evil largely went away. And I began to hear people talk about this great problem of evil, and frankly, I just didn't see it. And so anyway, Bob, make a long story short, I wrote a book on the subject, Why Does God Allow Evil? But I, And so I've studied everything. For me, it's all one piece. It's all it's all the same. Fa- it's, it's just one piece. And that is, you know, I, I talk on the Crusades, Slavery, Inquisition, oppression of women, as you know, and I talk about the Canaanites to me, see, because part of that is, if God is good, why does he cause or allow or encourage so much evil? And so that's why I even consider this kind of topic to be about the problem of evil. And so kind of jumping into this topic, for those that kind of don't know what the issue is, what would be the objection that comes up of genocide in the Old Testament? Well, it's just what you said, is that the the, the Lord, you know, there are places where the Lord ordered the destruction of every man, woman, and child living in certain areas. It wasn't wherever they lived. It wasn't go seek them out. But in certain geographical areas, he, the Lord ordered the destruction of every man, woman, and child in those areas. Well, obviously, people that have not thought about this deeply or looked into it, you know, very closely are going to just go, well, that's just terror. That's just evil. That's just bad. How can a loving God do that? Well, I think the Lord had very good reasons for doing that. 
All right, so maybe we'll jump into some of those reasons now. Uh, in some of the work that you've done, you've listed kind of four main reasons of why God would do this. Uh, he taught You talk about their sinfulness. Uh, the same punishment happened to Israel. But let's kind of maybe go back of, of your first reason of this is because of their sinfulness. Uh, how do you explain this one? Well, you know, uh, the key passage for me is Leviticus chapter 18, where the Lord, make this very quick, where the Lord says, you shall not have sex with a close relative. He bans incest. Then he bans, then he says, and you shall not have sex with your neighbor's wife. And then he says, and you shall not offer your children to Molech, which by the way, if you're having incestuous sex or adulterous sex, you're going to end up with lots of kids. Uh, they didn't have any birth control. And so they would offer their children to a bullheaded uh, human, human-bodied fellow named Molech and burn their babies to death. Then you shall not have, you know, engage in homosexual sex, and then you shall not uh, engage in sex with animals. And he says, and says in Leviticus 18, the, the land of the people I'm bringing you into do all these things. And as you know, in my article that you can find on my blog, Clay Jones on that, I've got an article entitled, We Don't Hate Sin, So We Don't Understand What Happened to the Canaanites, where I document that the Canaanites were doing all of these things. In fact, their God... Uh, Baal raped his sister while she was in the form of a calf 77, even 88 times, which means raped her all the time. That was their God. Well, if, so they combined rape, incest, and bestiality into one act. And, uh, you know, there comes a time and, and uh, where the Lord can look at a, a society and say there's, there's literally to the point that there's no one redeemable left in that society. There's not anybody redeemable. He did that with Sodom and Gomorrah, for, for that matter. He did that with the entire world, except for Noah and his kids. When it came to the flood, where the Lord looks and he says, regarding Noah and the flood, he said, every thought of their hearts was only evil all the time. In other words, they were always planning evil. Uh, and so the Lord did that. The Lord also did that, by the way, in Jerusalem, when it came to the, when it came, he told the Israelites, he says, if you commit, if you don't destroy the Canaanites, you'll intermarry with them and you'll start committing their sins. And, and in fact, that's what happened. And then the Lord tells, uh, Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter five, go up and down the streets of Jerusalem. If you can find one person who deals honestly, I will forgive everyone in the city. And Jeremiah says, I couldn't find anybody. Not one person. In other words, uh, the Lord is saying there comes a time where there is simply no one who is a good person anymore in that culture. No one. In fact, not only were they not good persons, they were having sex with animals and engaging in all kinds of adulterous, incestuous sex. And there was no one good. And so the Lord, see, and so the Lord ordered the destruction on that. But, and the reason I say this is capital punishment, and it's not, uh, it's not genocide, is because when the Israelites committed the same sins, the Lord destroyed them too. Yeah. Uh, we don't like this, of course, because we don't hate sin. Uh, we like we we tolerate and enjoy sin. Frankly, a lot of people and they're like you know, as one guy in response, Wes Morriston, who's in, uh, responded to my Canaanite article, he says, "Well, I don't get it." Or well, actually, I responded to him in my Canaanite article. He says, "We do these kinds of things all the time here in America. What's the?" What's the problem? We may not offer our children to Molech, but we're doing all these things. And I thought, well, that's exactly the point. Yeah. Is we've gotten so desensitized to sin, it doesn't matter. But I'm afraid we need to learn to hate sin as God hates sin. Absolutely. And I think that article, and I had it written down here to share, uh, titled, We Don't Hate Sin, So We Don't Know What uh, We Don't Know What Happened to the, or We Don't Understand What Happened to the Canaanites, is so valuable because at least when I teach on the subject and I begin to explain what the Canaanite culture was doing. People very quickly go, oh, yeah, they should have gotten destroyed. 
right? And, and they understand this because I think we, as you just mentioned, often are doing a lot of these things in our culture and we don't hate it, but there are sins that we do hate. Right. And so maybe bringing up some of those sins that we do hate, maybe racism or something like that, that we understand. Yeah, that's evil. And we understand uh, what it means to cast judgment against a murderer or a rapist or something of that sort. And these are similar things that are happening. Well, right. You know, it's funny. Right. I've been musing lately about, you know, Nike pulled this pair of tennis shoes that had the American flag on it because Colin Kaepernick said that that the United States was founded on race, you know, racism and slavery. And I think. You know, we're, the people now are looking back at that time, and rightfully so, there was a lot of evils done there, and saying, boy, those people really weren't good. Well, today, uh, we are suctioning, scraping, and scalding to death about 800,000 babies a year, and uh, I think future generations can look at, back at our generation and say, so you built your society on the suctioning, scraping, and scalding to death of millions of children. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> people are not good, you know. I mean, nobody's good, but they, there can become a time where there's just the, the literally, in the Lord's considered opinion, the culture is unredeemable. In other words, there's no one good in that city at all. But what about all the people that do good things? You mean in the among the Canaanites, or you mean just a bunch people? Or in, or in American culture right now, aren't, aren't we doing a bunch of? You know, those people probably went home and they they loved their wives at night and they petted so, their dog and you yeah. know, yeah, sure they did. That doesn't, you know, I mean, doing some doing things like that doesn't make you a good person, as you know, Ryan. I like to point out, uh, you know, people go, well, Gandhi was a good person. Well, no, he wasn't. Gandhi did some good things, but he had sex with his. He went to bed naked, I should say, with his nieces every night. He only interrupted going to bed naked with his nieces every night to go to bed naked with other men's wives. Uh, I mean, he even went to bed naked with a relative's wives, wife. And, and, and you know, it's like, but people go, yeah, but he's not, he wasn't a good person. See, we need to understand that goodness is about the heart, is a matter of the heart. And people, what we have in America is a lot of people who are adulterous in their hearts and they're murderers in their hearts. Uh, but because they're not physically doing it, they're good people. They're not good people. So you kind of mentioned the second point that you bring up about how the same punishment was done to Israel, of how when they committed the sins that the Canaanites are committing, Israel received the same punishment. And so again, this is a form of judgment against evil and against sins than it is genocide against a particular people group. Now, the third thing that you bring up, and that I think maybe is often forgotten, is that you talk about destruction wasn't ordered until there was com- there, they were completely depraved, and how this is mentioned in Genesis 15. Can you kind of explain this one a little bit? Well... Yeah, you know, I mean, it, 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 as you know, it says in you know Deuteronomy that the sins of the that their sins had not reached full measure. Talking about the sins of the Amorites had not reached full measure, so it's not time to destroy them. Well, there became an Amorites, by the way, is is one of the Canaanite groups. Uh, you know, but there comes a time where the Lord can sit there and say, well, there's literally no one left that's good. Uh, he demonstrated this clearly in the case of Sodom and Gomorrah, where Abraham's arguing with him. I encourage people to read that story again. Abraham's saying, you wouldn't kill the righteous with the wicked. That's not your way. He says, what if there's 50 righteous people there? Well, people may remember the story. Finally, the, Abraham talks him down to 10. He says, what if there's 10 righteous people? And the Lord says, fine. If you can find 10 righteous people, I won't destroy both cities. He couldn't find 10 righteous people. In fact, they basically had to uh, drag Lot and his wife and two daughters out. The, if you read that, the angels took their hands and made, we're leaving. We're leaving now. Because there wasn't anybody righteous in those cities. Yeah. But I think the trouble for us is is that we intuit. Uh, we intuit. No, no, I'm sure there's really righteous people there. I know there are. There's really, 
You don't know that. And the Lord, in his considered opinion, he knows. Uh, and like I say, he did the same thing, like I say to the Israelites. Look at Ezekiel chapter, or excuse me, Jeremiah 5. He says, if you can find one person that's righteous, I'll spare the city. He couldn't find anybody. Yeah. But but we want to believe, and frankly, I think we want to believe this because we want to have some, we want to be able to have something in our own minds against God. We want to believe, no, no, that can't be the case. Not everybody there was evil. Yeah, and it, it's just that there's no re, there's no logical basis to believe that. And as we'll see, that actually is one thing that comes up in the objections that we're going to get to that came from YouTube is this idea. Well, there certainly were innocent people there. And so how can you truly understand this? Now, so your, your last one before we kind of get to hyperbole is that you talked about how not everyone of the Canaanites were killed, about how even like the Hittites were outside the, the boundaries. And so this, this isn't a form of judgment. Well, there were there were some. I mean, there were Hittites who lived in the land that they were told to conquer. But there were also Hittites that lived outside the land that they were told to conquer. And the Lord didn't say, go get them wherever they are. He wasn't saying just chase them down. He says, these people in this area deserve to die. And uh, we have to have pretend that we have some sort of sense of omniscience. If we're going to say, well, no, really, uh, we know better. I mean, no, I, I mean, what's that based on? And I mean, like, again, the whole Abraham conversation about Sodom and Gomorrah is exactly the point that the Lord says, you know, I'm just telling you right now, there isn't anybody righteous left. So one of the common arguments that comes up, uh, maybe even from you know Paul Copan in his book uh, is "God a Moral Monster," is this idea of hyperbole that this is simply exaggerated language, like "go and slaughter the other team." Well, you don't actually mean slaughter them. Uh, what do you think about this this argument from hyperbole, and, and does it make sense with you? I, I you know I should say Paul's a good friend of mine. Paul's a friend of mine. I really respect his work. We, I, I, there might be a little bit of hyperbole going on sometimes from humans. I don't think there is from God, but a lot of people misunderstand Paul's work. Paul, and then later in the second book with Paul, Paul and uh, Matthew Flanagan, uh, agree that the God that the Lord did in on some occasion order the destruction of all the women and children. And a lot of people don't understand that. They think that by her hyperbole, he really didn't mean to kill the women and children too. And that's. Just even Paul, uh, Paul agrees. That's not true. There are places where the Lord ordered, not hyperbole, the killing of women and children. Uh, and so uh, the, the, what, what Paul's argument for his biggest argument that for why there, it must have been hyperbole is because they would go in. Uh, it says that they'd wipe everybody out. They'd kill everybody. And then later, he'd, he'd bring up a passage, and this is true, where later it'd say, and they were still in the land. And Paul asks the question, and he, well, if they're still in the land, but earlier it says he wiped them all out, then it must be her hyperbole. That is a possible logical solution to that. On the other hand, there's another possible logical solution, and that is they killed everybody they could get their hands on, but a lot of people fled, and then they came back. And for... <laughs> for all I can say is all you have to do is follow the wars in Afghanistan, for crying out loud. They will kill all the Taliban. They'll wipe out all the fighters in a particular area, and then later they're back. This happens again and again and again. People flee. In other words, another way of reading it is that, God, that, they, that they killed everyone. They, when they say we killed everyone, we slaughtered everyone, they mean everyone who was there. Yeah. <laughs> so there's two. You could say, well, no, it was really only hyperbole. Or uh, I think the more the easier conclusion is just like we find in modern warfare, a lot of people got the got the got out of Dodge before <laughs> before the attack came. And as soon as the Israelites were gone, 
uh, they came back. So I, that's why I don't find that particular argument to be convincing. I don't think, but plus I don't think it needs to be convincing. <clears throat> if the Lord says, if the Lord says these people are evil and they need to die, and, and one thing I really agree with Paul on, uh, the script, again and again, Moses, or not Moses, again and again, the scripture says, Joshua, that the Lord's going to send, uh, the hornet into the land to drive them out. So a lot of people were going to flee. Uh, and, and so the people, the hard hearted people that decided to stay, well, the Lord was going to take their lives. And that's just all there is to it. But, you know, part of the trouble, Ryan, is we don't think today you've got a huge amount of people that don't think you should ever capitally punish anyone ever. It doesn't, I mean, you can do murder one and there's people go, oh, you shouldn't take their lives for doing murder one. Well, for crying out loud, I mean, that's, that's the troubles with our society. It's not with the Lord. So how do we then make sense of God tells us, you know, thou shalt not murder, but here God is maybe murdering, or would you change that word, to uh, uh, men, women, and children uh, because of their sin? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I, you, yeah, you shouldn't murder, uh, but but the whole the Old Testament is full of capital punishment, uh, and they don't consider murder. But murder would be unjustified killing, in in the Lord's considered opinion. <laughs> there's justified killing. I mean, the, the whole Old Testament. Read the entirety of the Old Testament. There's justified killing. And by the way, people, when it comes to the New Testament, they go, "Well, it just seems like Jesus is so gentle." In the New Testament, I say, read Matthew 25, and they will go away to everlasting torment. And, the, and he talks about the wicked will, will weep and gnash their teeth, and they'll be everlastingly tormented. The judgment against the unrepentant is just as severe in the New Testament as it is in the Old. We don't like it, frankly, because of our sinfulness. That's my, the title of my article. We don't hate sin, so we don't understand what happened to the Canaanites. Well, you know, us non-sin haters are going, I don't get what God's doing. Well, you know what? The problem's with you. You need to change the way you see sin. And But you don't hate sin. But I'm telling you, sinner, those of you that are unrepentant before the Lord, if you think that's bad, let me just assure you, unless you repent, God's coming for you. Absolutely. And I don't mean through human means, because he's not doing that anymore. This isn't a theocracy. But he is coming for you at the judgment. And so uh, we need to bring hell back as a conversation, because the judgment is coming for all, all those who are unrepentant of their sinfulness. And that's where we've, I think, lost so much as a culture is that, I mean, uh, people have been bringing this. I haven't read it myself, but people have been bringing this up lately of how on The Bachelorette, you know, what the, the girl was bragging, I guess, about how she's a Christian, but God is not judging her for having sex before she's married because God loves her and he accepts her how she is. And we kind of get this very loving view of God of how we only look at the attribute of love and we sometimes forget about the wrath of God and the judgment of God and how his love actually applies in relationships. Yeah, that, that well, you know, the judgment comes. Uh, the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 5, let no one deceive you with empty words. No one who is immoral, impure, covetous uh, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God and in Christ. You won't be getting in. If you, you can say, yeah, yeah, but I'm a Christian, but I prayed the prayer. doesn't matter. If you're living in rebellion against God, then you're not going to be in the kingdom. And we need to get that through our heads. I'm not talking about if you sin, you won't be in the kingdom, because then, I won't, then I'm not going to be in the kingdom for sure. But we're talking about people who engage in willful, stubborn rejection of God's principles and his ways. Those people are not going to be in the kingdom, and that means they're going to be lost forever. Yeah. 
So in our last 10 minutes, I want to look at some of these objections that came up uh, in, in the YouTube interview or the YouTube post. Uh, Did God command genocide in the Old Testament? And the first one was this. And, it, and the guy said, you know, you're taking this out of context. You're not actually looking at the scriptures that, that deal with this. And so he quotes 1 Samuel 15, where it says, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel and what the wayland and they wayland them as they came out of Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites, and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. And so here the guy goes on and comments and says, This is the command of wholesale slaughter. It is not taken out of context. It is a command to kill innocent creatures, women, children, and animals that have done nothing wrong. So how would you, you, we've kind of responded a little bit. How would you respond to this idea that these are like the children, the women, the animals, they're innocent. They've done well, nothing wrong. Let's deal with them in order. First of all, when it comes to adult human, well, adults, I mean, uh, to say that they were innocent is, uh, that's just simply, again, you're being, the, the person who thinks that there were some innocent individuals there is being in omniscient. Uh, because, again, the creator in the case with Sodom and Gomorrah and the case of, like I say, in Jeremiah 5 is saying, there's not anybody righteous there. If there was one righteous person, I'd spare them. Then we move on to children, which, of course, and I've blogged on the children issue quite a bit. We move on to the children issue. And here's where I, Paul has done me a great service, Paul and Copan and Matthew Flanagan, too, in his the later book. Uh, it's not always wrong to kill the innocent. That's a conversation we could have at some length, but it's not always wrong to kill the innocent. When uh, during 9-11, when Flight 93 uh, was you know headed towards, we don't know what, probably the, the Capitol or the White House, um, we sent planes to knock it down, uh, knock it out of the sky. Now, it, it happened to go down before we got there, but I don't think if we had done that, that anybody, although it would have killed innocent people, that we would have said the United States was morally wrong uh, to take the lives of those on Flight 93 because they would be doing it to spare the lives, to spare more lives, because their lives were pretty much already lost if they were to, you know, and obviously if they ran into a building, then they're going to be lost for sure and kill a lot more people to boot. We Now, that doesn't mean it's not abhorrent, the idea that these people's lives had to be taken or were going to be taken if the plane hadn't gone down before that, uh, but it's not always wrong to kill the innocent. And so children, uh, there, there may have been small children who indeed had not committed any of these sins, that's true. But then you're left with a situation, what are you going to do with them? I mean, if you adopt them, that's a problem. Uh, so you really only have three choices. You kill them quickly, you leave them just to be exposed into the wilderness, and then they're going to be eaten by wild animals and snakes and who knows what, or, or uh, you adopt them. Uh, obviously, the first two, the first one's what he commanded, the second one would have been worse. The third, adoption, the trouble there is, is people think, well, you could just adopt all these kids in. And Ryan, honestly, this is something that you and I could probably talk about for two hours. Uh, I know we don't have that, but we could talk about this for two hours. I I know a lot about this. I've blogged on this a lot. Jeannie and I took in some abused foster children, and I guarantee you they bring their ways into the household. Uh, and I'm talking about if you bring in any older children at all, they bring their ways into the household. And people want to do this. Yeah, but love will find a way. I'm sorry, but that's just simply false. Uh, you could not bring wholesale in thousands of Canaanite children and not have them pollute uh, Israel, which God was absolutely intent on not occurring. I could go on and on on that, but that's yeah. there's a nutshell. Well, he kind of goes on and he, he addresses that, and he says, to say that the ordering 
to say that ordering the death of the children is okay because they will be saved and automatically go into heaven in the next life, he says, is one of the most disgusting things he's ever heard. Well, that wouldn't be why they're being ordered to be killed. That would be something that mitigates the fact that they're being killed, that they're going to be saved. And see, there's a big, that's not, but that's not the reason their lives were taken. The reasons their lives were taken is so that they wouldn't corrupt uh, future generations of Israelites. And I'll tell you, like I say, and I can't go into a lot of detail here, uh, but I'm just saying, taking in some of the kids that we took in, they bring their cultures with them. Also, uh, children desperately want to know when they're adopted, they desperately want to know about their birth families. It's insatiable. And uh, so they're going to say to their parents, so what did my, what habits were my parents doing that you made you want to take their lives? Uh, and then all of a sudden they're going to be seeking other gods. And can you imagine teenage rebellion uh, against parents when you've killed, when you've, when, when you, you killed, killed their birth parents, you killed their birth parents because of sins their birth parents were committing, and you expect these kids are not going to sit there and you don't have to sleep with one eye open all the time because they're going to come and get you. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, it's just, but this is something like I say, you and I could unpack this for for an hour. Because it's such a big issue, and I've given it a lot of thought, but you just it just isn't so, you know, I mean, that you could just simply adopt these kids into your household, and love would find a way. It, that's just simply naive. All right. Well, he gives a thought experiment here, and he says, imagine Iran is attacked by the—Iran uh, uh, attacked the U.S. The U.S. retaliates and wipes out Iran's army. Once they are done, the president orders the army to turn on civilians and wipe out the women and children and animals. Would the world stand for this? Would citizens of the United States stand for this? Would you vote for that president again? Honestly, answer that question. Yet you worship a being that orders this not once. No, that's not enough blood for him, but many times. Why is it so easy to be more moral than a perfectly moral God? <laughs> well, first, there's so many things to say to this. One of the first things... And we have four minutes. <laughs> well, one of the first... Oh, God, four minutes. Well, one of the first things that comes to mind again is uh, the, all the adults were evil. The children's lives were being taken to keep them preventing further harm. The fact that they were then saved is a mitigation. It's not the reason, but it's a mitigation of uh, that mitigates the fact that their lives would be killed. But I've got to say something here that to me is incredibly hypocritical so often, and that is, you know, Ryan, uh, we support presidents that do that, every single president. We support this all the time. What do you think happens in war when you carpet bomb when you blow that, when we use the when we use nuclear weapons on Japan, you killed every man, woman, child, and animal. When you when we when we bomb Dresden, same thing. When we're we're killing people, I mean, when we use drones to strike people, we're killing innocents all the time. Hello, wake up. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, and it's but the see, no president is going to say it's true. The president's not going to say our intent is to kill women and children. But see that back to but back when it comes to the Old Testament, his intent was to kill all the adults because they were all evil and God knows hearts and we don't and they were all evil. As I said, the children I have no problem granting that there were innocent children, the children that hadn't committed these offenses. But the Lord knew that if they grew up, they would be on the side of their enemies. And uh, I, I like I say, I just heard a woman just recently said, you know, I wouldn't have believed you. She says, but I adopted a child from Russia. She says, and that child now that's 18 years old, he only wants to know about Russia. 
And he says that if we went to war with Russia, he's going to go to Russia and he's going to fight against us. Now, I could give countless examples of this. This is just – anyway, like I say, for people that haven't really taken in abused children, uh, pe children who have been molested, they do not understand these issues. They think they do. They're convinced they do. They like to – parade around, oh, well, I'm so moral. They don't have a clue of what they're talking about. And one of the things I like to point out, too, is I'll bet you a lot of the people that argue this way are pro-abortion, and so they're for the, for the suctioning, scraping, and scalding to death of innocent children all the time. Hello. I mean, this, I mean it's, just, it's just absurd, and the hypocrisy is stunning. Wow. We are going to have to end on that. <laughs> Such incredible stuff. Again, as you mentioned, we could talk about for so much more time. Um, but I know you've written a lot of uh, a lot on this. Where can they go find a lot of your articles that you've well, written? Well, ClayJones.net, and uh, you'll find if you look in the resources section, I've got my article, We Don't Hate Sin, So We Don't Understand What Happened to the Canaanites. Also uh, on ClayJones.net, just at the uh, under the topics, there's the word Canaanite. Click the word Canaanite. Uh, and you'll find all the articles that all the posts that I've done on the Canaanites where I go through and argue these things in greater detail. And then you have a new book coming out soon? I do. It's called, I don't know exactly how many months, but it's uh, entitled Immortal, How the Fear of Death Drives Us and What We Can Do About It. Well, hopefully I'll have you back on and talk more about that book when it comes out. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much for joining me. Pleasure to be with you, Ryan. And thank you all so much for listening. I hope that this podcast has been an encouragement to you who have faced this challenge or preparation as you will face it in the future. Make sure you follow Coffeehouse Questions on all the social media apps. Stay up to date with what's going on as well as on YouTube. Sip coffee, think deeply. This is Coffeehouse Questions with Ryan Pollock. Just won't hesitate to follow. Your love will guide my way.